Live from 91.3 WYSO in Yellow Springs, Ohio, it's Filmically Perfect with J. Todd Anderson, George Williman, and me, your host, Nikki Dakota. Something strange this way comes. It could be the film, or it just could be filmically perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Hello, I'm your host, Nikki Dakota, joined in the studio today by the storyboard artist to all the big stars and the beautiful people, plus the Coen brothers for the last 20 years and counting. We call him friend and J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd, welcome. Hello, Nikki. Secret Dakota Ray. <laughs> so nice to see you today. And also live and in the studio, it is the one, the only... And with the largest film brain on the planet, and I think that's undisputed, he is the Nitrate Film Archivist at the Library of Congress, our man at the Library of Congress, and our friend, George Williman. George, welcome. Pasteboard is my friend. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you should say something bizarre like that, because (laughs) that's why we are all gathered here today. The perfect movie which we do celebrate is, which one of you gentlemen is going to say? It is The Exterminating Angel by Louis Bunuel. 1961. And I have often wondered, because I watched it through a couple of times, I'm not even quite sure about the title and its relevance to the movie, because there's just... I mean, Very surrealistic movie. Very surrealistic. Absolutely. This is by one of the masters of surrealism. And as it turns out, I mean, like, really? Like, he, he was in on the... He was in the beginning. I mean, back when they, they, you know, the Dadaists and the Surrealists were fighting it out. Him and who his buddy be. Salvador. Yeah, Salvador Dali. Hello, who in Dali. a Hitchcock movie, uh, what is the Hitchcock movie where they had Spellbound. The Spellbound, and they had a little dream sequence that Salvador Dali helped to uh, design this with Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was part of all of a sudden this movement had kind of a relevance in the cinema. And it was, uh, you know, even Hitchcock was even talking about because of its imagery. Um, but this is the man we're going to talk about today is is one of the classic and perhaps one of the greatest known uh, directors of uh, surrealist cinema. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And his name again? I'm sorry. Louis Bunuel. He's from Spain. So Spain. Um, a lot of people have been asking for uh, foreign films, and we haven't um, really complied. But we're going to start doing that, and we're going to. Uh, after we did uh, World's Fastest Indian, which was from Australia. New Zealand. New Zealand, excuse me. And um, now this one is Spain, and we just happen to love this movie. But it was filmed in Mexico, is that right? Correct. Yeah, so um, Spanish language with English subtitles, which is uh, worth noting. But you know what? Actually, gentlemen, we get a little bit before ourselves. ourselves yes. You know, there is a, a, a reason that this film is being talked about here on the Filmically Perfect on 91.3. Actually, there's four reasons. Aha, uh-huh. and gentlemen, uh, you want to get technical? There's five reasons, but we'll get into the fifth and sixth reason after we do the first four reasons. There are rules, very yes. stringent indeed, and gentlemen, those are. Hey, uh, the exterminating angel is a perfect film because it creates the world that it exists in, and it wholly sustains that world. And regardless of the changes in society, the exterminating angel it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And as a perfect movie, it is never placed in any preferential or numerical order. This film is perfect. By its own scale, weird though it may be. Yes. Thus the exterminating angel. 
Weird, weird, weird indeed. And also made more weird by the fact that, uh, okay, so it's a surrealist movie. Yes. And there's just this bizarre edge that goes to it. And yet the setting is actually in a, right. in that's, a very formal. And that's, that's sort of a Bunuelian thing, especially as he got into this last part of his career, where he would do these incredibly surreal stories, but they would be set in contemporary, extremely, quote, normal settings such it's as like this a designer one. hell that's yeah. what it is <laughs> well put it's, it's a hell designed by its own occupants so it'd be lovely if you were fluent in spanish to see this movie i think because of the subtitles you're having to look up and down and up and down right. you know to see the action but well, also see you know see the and plus language. if it's like anything else you can't really catch the entire context of what they're saying from a translation right you know the, the way syntax is in different languages it's not always going to work out quite right now my guess is is if you don't read the subtitles you're still going to watch this movie and get a lot out of it because it breaks in so many different directions from the surrealistic element all these images just happen to appear and just uh, there's a, a chicken's foot in a purse, purse and uh, and chicken feathers and people keep going into this uh this uh, closet closet and you know that they're they're defecating in there. They're making love. Okay, but let's let's. I'll tell you what. Let's let's start though. Just like to to do. I know it's going to be really difficult to do the action, but let's talk about sort of the first how it opens and the scenes, how it sort of progresses, and then there's right the story. I mean, right from like the very first scene, something odd is going on. Uh, it takes place um, in a big city, uh, probably Mexico City, I would imagine. And uh, it's on the, the Providence Street. The first thing you see is this <laughs> street that says Calle de la Providence. So it's Providence Street. And uh, some of the workers in this large house are leaving. And, and the, the sort of major domo of the house is like, where are you going? We're, we got this big party. Where are you going? He's like, I, I just have to go. I, just, I, I need to go. And he's like, well, don't come back. And you find that all the people who work in the house, all the servants, are just they're aching to leave the house. They can't even explain why. But they're they making are just, up a, a few excuses. They're making up or really else weak excuses. They're just, I got to go. Yeah. So it's like they know something is up. It's kind of like when, when cattle know a storm is coming and no <laughs> one else does. You know, it's, <laughs> They may not be the hoi polloi of the town, but they know that something is coming. The masters of the household threaten, and they say, well, you're just fired. And with every extreme measurement of their employment, and they just, okay, well— I still gotta go. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't worry about that. It's like, well, yeah. Fine. Fine. That's I'm out of here. Well, I'll check that off. I gotta go now. Um, and they just leave. So they they've invited over this this group of people. This 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 couple who own this big house invite these people over, and I believe it's after an opera, as I remember. It's a very posh. Yeah. Affair. Very very high class people. And and right from the beginning, as they come in, they actually enter the house and go up into the drawing room twice. They come in. You see them come in and go up twice. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to see, but it, you it, had to it, watch this movie yeah. a couple times, yeah. you know. And and they go in and they they start having this dinner, and the dinner is is somewhat normal, and it progresses. You know, after dinner they go into the lounge for music and cigars, and you know, and just talk. And at that point, things really start going south as suddenly, slowly, they begin to not be able to leave. They all talk about leaving. They all say, oh, well, it's late. we got to get going. And then they just stay. Don't do it, yeah. They just start staying. And they sleep on the floor. They sleep on the floor. Uh, they go into the little closet there. They do. They, they have sex in the same room that they 
<laughs> Almost everything's going on in this this little closet. It's like an, a, 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 it, but it's different things to different people. This closet, right? For some, it's a bathroom. For some, it's a bedroom. Jars of clay are brought in, you know, to the room. Right. There are large, fancy in vases in the in the in the closet for them to to. A lot of this into. is is anti-Catholic. It's very anti-Catholic in many many ways because of Bunuel's stance toward the church. Oh, is that right? right. Huh. And you'll see Bunuel, like, the jars was, of clay mentioned in the Bible, and then that's what they. I mean, Bunuel, I guess, had a <laughs> Bunuel had a saying in his later years where he said, "Yes, I'm still an atheist, thank God." <laughs> but it's interesting; he's more rather than being anti anti God, he is more anti Catholic Church. More regimented it's more, it's more religion. against against the sort of the, the 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 precepts of the Church and the kind of um, you know the kind of hierarchy that the Church kind of has has kind of put on the people. So it's called exterminating angels. So I guess there really is a religious commentary overtone to. Very much so, yeah. Uh, and especially as, 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 like I said, as the story progresses and the people become more and more wretched, and they are stuck in this house. I mean, it could be weeks, it could be months. No exact time is given, uh, but uh, they begin they begin to become more of more animalistic as it goes and on. And they all keep getting closer to the center of this house. Mm-hmm. They, they start moving toward the middle. And well, they get in this, just the music room, and, and they close down until they're in just this one room, and they can't even go beyond the doorway of this room. Um, they end up there's the, the family that lives there have a group of sheep that are pets, I guess. Because they <laughs> they're the walking in and out. And, and the sheep, they, the sheep get in and they slaughter the sheep and eat them there because they can't leave the in their food leave the in their evening clothes. And yeah, you know, they do this in their their uh, their hoity-toity evening clothes. Yeah, at least one of the members of the party dies, and they put him in the yeah. closet. In the closet. The and then the they closet. get thirsty, and they start breaking off the plaster of the wall to find a water pipe, and they break that open. They go, oh, right. They break through the wall to find bizarre. a water pipe. Because they can't go and leave the room. It, no. it, it, and it and really my favorite part of the movie is they say, they say well, I, I can't go out the door. I just can't go out the door. There's no reason, no explanation. Right. And then and no, I meet a lot of people like that in life. Well, I just can't certainly can't go out the door. And the people on the outside that have gathered to say, we have a right to know why they're inside, uh, well they, they they run for the door. They're gonna they're gonna like charge the door and they stop. Well we can't go through the door. We just can't <laughs> right. they cannot <laughs> go in. They will not they they're so indignant wow. about it and they want to know so much but they will not go in. So you know the movie basically is it's how these people survive this or don't survive this little ordeal. But one of them finally gets an idea of like, well, what, what were we doing? What were we doing before this happened? Yes, you were there, and I was here, and you were finishing this song. And they kind of start thinking about reenacting that end piece, and they manage to break free, and they're able to leave. They leave the room. They leave the house. There's cheers. So they immediately go to the church, the big church in town, to, to give thanks for their being released. And they all go in, and they have this big service, and as the service is ending, and you see the priest and the acolytes heading out the door, the priest goes, oh, maybe we should wait until everybody else leaves. <laughs> I think I left my prayer book back on that table. And pretty soon, everyone is trapped in the church and can't get out. <laughs> There's a riot Which was in the, the same way it started in the other one, that they were just yeah. like, oh, well, maybe bigger this. Scale. And then ultimately, though, they had to admit they couldn't leave. They but could at first, leave. they were making sort of mild excuses mm-hmm. and... Yeah, and by they, the and they, at, at the very end of the movie, you see this, riot. this. There's a huge riot. There's all these screens, and there's this huge uh, flock of sheep going into the church, <laughs> you know. So, and that's where it ends. And they, 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 their commentary through the picture are lines of dialogue such as, uh, "And none of us have made the slightest effort to leave." Yeah. <laughs> 
But again, I think a lot of it, besides just being sort of this surrealist thing where, it, no, it doesn't make sense. And the things they do don't make sense. It's also Bunuel kind of, like we were saying, saying that people will do almost anything they can a lot of times to, to not do what they need to do. And they'll make the lamest excuse for not doing what they need to do. You know, okay, the party's over. We got to leave. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I guess we could stay just a few more minutes. And, and then their conversations are always about uh, people less fortunate than them. One of the lines is, uh, I think the lower class, I think the classes of, of, the lower classes are less sensitive to pain. Uh, <laughs> have you ever seen a wounded bull? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> really fabulous dialogue in this movie. We're I'm, not, I'm not being facetious either. Yeah, yeah. It's these these people with their evening gowns on and they're talking like this, and yet they have no courage. They just decide not to leave. They're going to stay right there throughout this whole movie. We're talking about 1962's The Ex- Oh, is it? Didn't we decide it was 62? 1962's uh, The Exterminating Angel. It is uh, by a Spanish director, but filmed in Mexico in, yeah, in, in and in Spanish. It's interesting. With he he kind of was. I don't know if it was official or not, but he was kind of like not allowed to go back into Spain for a long time. Oh, he really? worked in Mexico for many of his years. Uh, he went back to Spain in the late 50s and made this uh, film called Veridiana, which it's was a fine, fine picture. Great film. And but because of some, again, some of the anti religious symbolism that he had in it. He was again asked to leave Spain, <laughs> went back to like, Mexico. And when he got to the border, he says, "I just can't leave." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he got back to Mexico, the next thing he did was was exterminating angel. Uh huh. And I don't know that he ever actually went back to Spain. I think uh, he did go back to Europe, but uh, his several of his last films were done in France. It was shot in black and white, mm-hmm. which wouldn't have been too out of. Out of no, um, especially in the Mexican film industry, I think at this time color films were very much well, a rarity. Bunuel didn't have huge budgets. Um, his budgets were really meager. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that guy was ever after a big Hollywood picture in his life. Uh, honestly, I, he never really pursued he, it like his fellow. No, in fact, did. he he did actually do one English language film. He did The Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. Yes, that's right. In the that 40s. was a color picture too, that was, and that one was in color. But it was it was bankrolled by uh, some Americans. And it was it a had very Dana, visual movie. Yeah, um, Dan O'Hare he plays Robinson Crusoe. But again, I believe it is shot in Mexico, and it has no dialogue, right? No, it has dialogue. Yeah. Very little. Very dialogue. little though. Yeah. yeah, but it's probably one of the more normal of his films because he does basically follow the Robinson Crusoe story. So Bunuel, who is a, as a, a surrealist and a friend of Dolly and, uh, and uh, been asked to leave uh, his, uh, his native country, finds this expression in film. And I have to say, you know, I didn't get it. I mean, I kept, kept I watched it over a couple I'm of times. I'm not so sure you're supposed to See, get that's it. just it. But even, yeah. even despite that, I kept being drawn to it. It's so bizarre. And it, so it, it breaks. It, it just breaks in places you never expect it to break. And it challenges you to keep up with what he's. What, at least some of the commentary that he's trying to instill. There's one scene in the movie where they all gather to this entrance, and there's a bear. Yeah, there's a bear wandering through the house. And they're all just staring at this bear. It's not a big bear. It's just a little bear. And he's, he's running all over the house, and they're just staring at him, watching. It's, it's like this Kafka break, as the boys call it, you know, <laughs> break in the movie, and this bear is just <laughs> running. He's like one big Kafka break. <laughs> 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 It's a massive Kafka. An uninterrupted stream of Kafka. Kafka We must shatter this lethargy, as they say in this picture. We must shatter. And how? Well, I'm not going to go through the door. Right, but someone here should. I'm not going through the door. But this one, actually, as he builds upon this film in his next few productions as he goes on, it just gets 
it gets stranger and stranger because whereas this one is a group of people who sit down to dinner and can't leave, he d- goes on and a few years later makes a film called The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie <laughs> where it's a group of people trying to sit down to dinner yeah. and they can't. They can't get started. They can't finish the meal. They can't start. And so many, like I said, so many of these films are are episodes that cannot be completed. But um, it just shows you how far you can take an idea, just a simple idea like of procrastination or denial or and, and turn it into something that's quite stimulating from a visual standpoint, like a movie. I mean and Bunwell had this kind of in aces taking these these small incremental thoughts and just right. turning them into well, and another like one of his things extrapolating uh, that sort of comes out of kind of the the twenties and the the surrealists and this kind of the leftist movement is is sort of the his dislike and distaste of the bourgeoisie or yeah, so the upper middle like a, class. This movie's like lifeboat for rich people. Yeah. That's what you know. Because Hitchcock's if you notice, lifeboat. and like I said, in this one, the 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 working class people in the film, they know something's going on, and they know they need to get away from it and not be part of it. So they leave, and they are protected from it. But it's like the rich, the bourgeois, they they're there, and they're in the middle of it, and they can't deal with it, and they won't deal with it, and they can't figure it out. And it's not until several of them are dead, and they're all starving and dehydrated, and the place probably reeks. That they finally have been brought down to this animalistic level, and they can finally figure out what the heck is going on and get out of it. But they even recognize their problem. I mean, they say, you know, and none of us has made the slightest effort to leave. And they look at each other like there's something on each guy's nose. But they're all wait. They're all waiting for the other one yeah. to, to tell them what to do. And, and then they start talking about you know art or something, and then the, 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 the problem reoccurs. And then they they figured out what the problem is. They know exactly what is. And they just leave it, <laughs> walk <Yeah>. away from it. <laughs> but that's very much like – I think one of the films, which I would love someday if we can get a good copy of it, uh, The Phantom of Liberty, which is one of his last big films. Oh, and when was that then? So what was the span? Uh, let's see. Phantom of Liberty is in the 70s. And so he had done that uh, silent movie in 1928 right. with Salvador Dali uh, that's uh, completely disturbing. And then this in 62. So it was in the 70s. Right, so he 70, really – Yeah, 74 he did Phantom of Liberty, which is in color. It's wow. one of the films he made in France, and it's basically this really episodic movie that has some characters that kind of continue off and on throughout. But it's little episodes that never really complete. They'll start with one, and before it's done, it'll lead in the next one, and then that'll lead in the next one. And in that one, again, it has a dinner, a big dinner scene huh. in it. But in this one, they, this rich couple invite all their friends over, and they go into the living room, and there's this beautiful table surrounded by toilets. <laughs> and everyone, everyone drops, everyone drops trowel, <gasps> and sits down at the toilets. And finally, after a little bit, they're talking, they're reading the papers, they're talking, talking, talking. And one of them goes, gets up and goes, "Would you excuse me?" And he gets up, he flushes, and and he goes to this little room. And he goes in the room and he sits down and he pulls his handle and this little tray comes down with a dinner on it, and he starts eating. And someone else knocks on the door and he goes, "I'm in here." <laughs> so it's like in this one, it's a total reverse, you know, where it's fine to to uh, to you know, move yourself, move your bowels in public, but you eat by yourself, <laughs> and that's I mean, it's, it's just totally, you know, it's like what what's going on here? So oh, I look forward to that. He also did his Christ picture, Nazarene. Nazarene, well, one of many, you know. Yeah, again, it's it's his statement against the church in many ways, but it's it's a really good movie, you know. It's uh, this guy just never stopped there for like. 20 years making these small well from 28 to almost we're talking about almost 50 years well his his big breakout was and then delusion dog 
Right, or un chien andalou. <laughs> <laughs> An Andalusian dog. Which a lot of you people have probably seen because it deals with this really graphic scene of it looks like this woman is getting her eyeball cut with a, with a, straight, razor. With a straight razor. And then they cut to like an animal's eye and they're cutting the animal's eye. It, it gives you the willies because you think the woman's being cut. But it's at that time he's developing this surrealistic approach to cinema in the 20s, which did not exist. He's doing these crazy right. cuts. Yeah, it's all crazy cuts and and things that relate to each other that don't relate to each other, you know. And when the like when the the male character is spurned in the movie, he he grabs these two ropes and starts pulling them, and and attached the ropes are uh, two large pieces of cork, two grand pianos stuffed with dead donkeys. And, yeah, and, that's right. And each each line has priest on it, being dragged. <laughs> Now imagine this is the twenties. This is barely out of you know. This is yeah, and all accompanied by errors. all accompanied by tango music. <laughs> oh, lovely! This uh, there wasn't anything like it anywhere to be found at that time. And he's making this bold, bold statement, and he's hanging out with these guys, uh, Salvador Dali, and, yeah. and they're doing the Dada thing. And uh, this is a completely different way of utilizing the cinema to to you know get your message across. Um, it's hard for us to understand that like, from yeah. this point of view because we're way in. 2008 here but think about that if you think about what people were watching back in the 20s and, the, and here comes Louis Benoit with these crazy crazy images and graphic images of that you cannot sit there and not squirm to he's getting an effect out of you that's what he's that's what he's provoking you with images. Um. We're talking about Exterminating Angel, the Exterminating Angel, the uh, film from 1962 that uh is is absolutely fascinating. I, I marvel when you talk about the scope of his career, just in in the, the time span alone. I wonder if he ever felt like he was getting the message across, or if it if that's not even the point, and that it's really just up to each of us to interpret and uh, and have. I think if if he's like a lot of leeway, right? yeah, I think if he's like a lot of artists. I mean, he was one of these that never tried not to compromise. I won't say never compromised, but he really tried not to and tried to stay true to what he believed in. And and it was something it was something that drove him. I mean, something he had to do, because I'm sure he was a talented enough director. He could have you know sort of melted into the mainstream and done mainstream pictures, but he just wouldn't. You know, try, try to he sell. Would not do it. Try to sell a piece on your script that says, "Okay, people start eating paper now." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you sell that to some producer. Okay, and and then what happens? You know, nothing happens. Well, they, they just eat paper. Yeah. That's what they do. They eat paper off the wall. They just eat it. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Um, and and then who gets the girl now? Right. No, right. it's sheep. Where's Guys no get sheep. Chase? We get sheep. <laughs> right. That's what we get. I always like to tell George is when I'm in Los Angeles, um, and I go to certain parties out there. This movie hangs in my mind. <laughs> yes. It sticks to my mind like a, like a shadow. I'm not kidding you. This movie comes to my mind so many times when when I see the way they carry on at, at various places in the world. And, yeah. Uh, especially when the, the beautiful mo- people get together. In the movie mm-hmm. business, when I see these crazy gatherings and I watch their motives and what they're aiming for, the tone just starts ringing back to the exterminating angel. Um, I've told our film professor who originally turned us on to this back when we were in college, uh, Dr. Charles Derry from Wright State University, I uh, was talking to him about it. I would say, you know, this film has, has had such an impact on me because every time I see something happening, I'm like, why do I have this the same feeling? And I think back, it's the exterminating angel. Um, right, and I think maybe somewhat of the title could be taken from exterminating angel being this 
this idea or this being that is separating these phonies, these bourgeois phonies from the real hardworking people in the kitchen. So maybe it was the you angel know. that was guarding the door there. Well, the or... angel that is preventing them from going out and infecting the rest of the world with their phoniness. I don't know. But Dr. <laughs> Derry told me a story, and I hope he won't mind me passing this. I hope I get it right. He was saying that when he was out there that some homeless people after the Academy Awards were announced, they were running over to other homeless people and saying, Marty got the Oscar. Marty got the Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> that's To me, that, that's the exterminating when he told me that story, I thought, yeah, that's that's uh, that's this movie in spades. Well, I don't pretend to understand that, but I don't pretend to understand this movie either. Well, and, you know, and yet I, I like it. I'm drawn to when it. When the less fortunate get euphorically happy, happy for the, the very well endowed and the, the very well uh, living people. Gotcha. Get these, you see okay. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a sense that what you get in this picture, they can't understand why the help is not happy about them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Why the, why the the help isn't happy to serve them and yeah, why, why they would why you know aren't you happy in their home? Why are you leaving? They why are you leaving to leave? Yeah. <laughs> I'm firing you. Okay. What? It's like know. we know the Xenia tornado is coming. We're leaving now, okay? Right. That's yeah. it. Bye-bye now. Exactly. Well, it is a perfect movie. I'll, I will definitely give that to you. As far as rule number 1, I think there's a, even a sneaky clause that should be added to there because it creates the world it exists in, but oh, it in does this that case, in a big you know, way. it starts out at least somewhat normal. Okay, the servants are leaving, but the you know, the, it's a dinner party. It's a formal thing. So many early Hollywood movies were about that, you know, this opulence and the glamour set. Right. So so you're sort of tricked into sort of maybe expecting something of this this variety. But creating that world, it, it then twists it. But you're right there for it. I mean, for the whole thing. It is just so bizarre and so inviting. So there's no question about that. I mean, you're well, sitting there watching you think, well, what are these sheep doing in the room? <laughs> and the bear. <laughs> and the bear. What's going on? Well, and then when you realize that it's sort of twisted, um, it definitely sustains that. Yeah, it, it it twists and twists and twists. <laughs> no question about it. And as far as sustaining, you know, uh, its its relevance, I think that people, even fifty, a hundred years from now, will watch this movie and still sort of feel like they almost get it, but yeah. but don't. I mean, quite. okay, phonies and poseurs have been with us forever, and they will continue to be with us forever. And this is a movie about them. I mean, this is sort and, of putting and, them yeah. on notice that look, you know, this is. Try to imitate this movie. Are. It's not an e- – this is a very original idea-based movie. Wouldn't you say, George? Yeah, and I, I do not know if it could be pulled off today because of its sort of – its microcosm that it creates. I think it would be hard to pull off. But a lot of people probably try. Um, but I just – this is the personification of years and years of style by, by this director. And it's – only this guy could – could paint this picture the way he did. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how anybody could come close. And every time you watch it, it's just based in this original idea that he's come up with. Who would ever think about somebody frightened about going through a doorway? Yeah. Um, well, it's so symbolic. Uh, uh, just for my own edification, uh, could you spell Bunuel for me, George? It is B-U, and then there's an N with a little tilde, tilde over okay. it. Uh, U-E-L. How about that? Well. And, uh, this movie is really a hard movie to find. Uh, one time they showed it on Turner Movie Classics not oh, too long ago. Wow. You can year. look for it. Uh, but if you really want to f- find a very interesting foreign film, foreign film, then try to find this movie. It's still available in some parts of this world. Yeah, it's out. Um, and there are there was a VHS release of it. Um, if you can find it, 
And like I said, keep an eye on Turner Classics or if there's a foreign movie channel out there somewhere. Or check it's your local worth, repertory it's theater. It's worth hunting for. It really is. And just as this uh, movie definitely merits uh, multiple watchings, if you look back to hear this uh, film analysis again, you can certainly do that at perfectmovie.net. Catch us at npr.org or at iTunes or right here at wyso.org. These answers and many other questions next time on Film Will Be Perfect. Thanks. <laughs> You've been listening to Filmically Perfect with J. Todd Anderson, George Willeman, and me, your host, Nikki Dakota. Heard live every Friday after the noon news on 91.3 WYSO. The shows are also available for download from iTunes or can be streamed at www.wyso.org.